Well, good morning, church. It's wonderful to be together again. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this time we have to gather together as your people. And as we, in our hearts, gather together around your word, we pray that you would help us to open our lives to hear what it is that you want us to hear, that you need us to hear for the sake of other people in our lives who need to experience your love through us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So Stephen mentioned we're starting a, a new message series this morning, and uh, it's, it's focusing on the Gospel of John, which means that we're going to be focusing on this story that John wants to tell us of a God who is willing to do whatever it takes, right, to go whatever distance he has to go in order to reach us. And not just to reach us, but to rescue us from whatever it is that's threatening us. In a world where the, the darkness is so easy to see, in a world where compassion is so often conditional, in a world where we honestly stare death in the face every single day, John wants us to hear this morning the incredibly good news that the world we live in is also filled with light and love and life. Like most storytellers, John starts at the beginning. And I don't mean his story starts with a starry night or even the words of prophets or a manger or a stable. I'm, I'm not talking about the shepherds out in the fields. I'm talking about the very beginning. I'm talking about a time before time. I'm talking about Genesis Chapter 1, verse 1, and some of the most famous words in all of Scripture. In fact, even if this is your very first worship service to ever be a part of in a church, you've probably heard these three words somewhere before, and you know they come from, from the Bible. What are those three words? In the beginning. Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was, was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's how Genesis 1 verse 1 starts. But it really is just the beginning because then God says the Word of God. It says, let there be light. And there's light. And then the Word of God says, let there be sky and water, and there's sky and water. And then the word of God says, let there be dry land, and dry land appears. And, and it goes on like this day after day until everything that exists is spoken into existence through the sheer power of the word of God. And it's through that same powerful word that God will speak the first human beings into life. And when those two people, when, when Adam and Eve, they start to look around and they, they know that they have everything they could need, but they also know that they don't have everything they could ever want, they make this disappointing, disobedient decision to reach for more than they need, to reach for more than God has told them they should reach for. Right, they've got access to the tree of life, but they want access to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And up to that point in the story, they only know good. But at the very start here, people begin to understand that knowledge 
Well, it seems like knowledge is always power, and more power is always more good. And so they reach out to this tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And they destroy the trust that exists between them and God. They destroy the relationship that they have between themselves and God, the foundation that that relationship is built on. And so it's God's word that then asks them, where are you? Where are you? Well, they're hiding together in the trees. They're they're hiding because they know that their disobedience has created damage that's beyond measure. And it has. Something dark and sinister is let loose in the world, something that we call sin. And the moment that they decide they know better than God knows what, what life is really about, they, they do something that doesn't just affect them. It doesn't just damage that relationship between them and God. It damages, well, it damages everything somehow, some way. And they deserve for that to be the end of not just their story, but the story. And yet what happens next, while it's difficult and they have to face up to what they've done, they end up receiving grace and mercy far beyond anything they have any right to expect. Years later, that same word of God is going to come to an old man named Abram. And, and Abram's wrestling, he's wrestling with fear because he's just, he's pretty sure he's never going to have the kind of future that he he desperately wants to have. He and his wife have never been able to have children, and it is the deep desire of their heart to have a family to call their own. And, and he's afraid that that's just not going to, to happen for them. And in the midst of that fear, the word of God comes to Abram in the quietness of an evening and whispers, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Abram. You don't have to be afraid that you're never going to have a future worth having because I'm going to be in your future, Abram. And if you'll just listen to me, if you'll you'll do what I ask, if you'll go where I ask you to go, you're going to find that your future is truly blessed. And I'm sure in in a way that, that Abram, as he looked back, was never able to fully explain to anybody else. He chose to believe that the words that were spoken to him from heaven, the word of God that was whispering to him on that evening was telling him the truth. As impossible as it seemed, he wanted to believe that it was possible. And it absolutely was. Years pass again and this same word of God starts speaking suddenly to a man named Moses. He's out in the wilderness tending to some sheep and he's had a difficult, complicated, frustrating life up to that point. He belongs to the people of Israel and they're they're held in captivity and slavery in, in the strongest nation on the face of the earth at that time in Egypt. And and Egypt's king of the Pharaoh won't won't let them have the kind of life that God created them for. Moses is frustrated. He's, he's struggling with the difficulty of, of what that means, and he feels hopeless to do anything about it. And he's out in the wilderness, and suddenly the word of God starts to speak to him out of this, this bush that's on fire, and yet it's not consumed by the bush. And, and the, the word of God says to him, 
Like, I need, I need you to go. I, I, I need you to, to be my servant. I need to work with you. I want to partner with you to set, to set your people, my people free. And Moses' response in that moment is there's a part of him that wants to do that. There's a part of him that wants to work with, with God to, to bring about the freedom of his people. But what really frightens him is he's not going to know what to say. He, he doesn't know how to address the, the Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth. He doesn't, he doesn't know how that's going to work. And God's word responds by saying, go. I, I'll help you. I'll help, help you speak and I, I'll teach you what to say. And Moses in that moment finds the courage to not only listen but to obey. And so he goes. And he finds that even though he doesn't know how to speak, the word of God will faithfully speak through him. And not just speak through him, but bring about amazing events that change everything. Lifetimes pass and the word of God, well, it it kind of goes silent and then Suddenly, in the middle of the night, when a young man is trying to fall asleep, the word of God calls out his name. Samuel. Samuel. And because the word of God was so rare in those days, Samuel just assumed it was somebody else speaking to him. So he goes and he he tries to find who's talking to him. And and the divine voice from heaven keeps calling out his name. And, And by the third time, Samuel's figured it out. And he says, speak for your servant is listening. And how's this for an opening line from God's word? See, I am about to do something that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. And at that declaration, Samuel listens to the word of God with his whole heart. And God's word isn't overselling anything. Because once again, everything's about to change. God's about to do something that nobody else could imagine, nobody else could do. And he continues to speak to Samuel throughout his life. Samuel grows up and becomes this powerful prophet and priest and leader, shepherd for the people of Israel. And then God's word says to Samuel, you need to go and anoint this young man who I have have chosen to be the leader of my people. And God's word not only guides Samuel to find this young man whose name is David, but God's word whispers in his ear, this is the one I have chosen. So that Samuel, there's no mistake, he knows exactly who God has in mind. It turns out that David really is going to be the best king that Israel ever has. And yet, like all of us, he's, he's complex and he's complicated. He's going to be a man, the Bible tells us, who is after God's own heart, but he's also a man who winds up breaking God's heart. And he gets to a place where he really, he longs to create a sacred space, a house of worship where he can, he can go in and he can encounter God's presence because David, with, with as many mistakes as he makes and as many struggles as he has, he knows that, that his life is at its best when he's in the presence of God, when he's listening to God, when he's encountering God. And so he says, I want to build a temple for you, God. And God's word responds through the prophet Nathan and says, wait a minute, are, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Are, 
David, do you think you're somehow going to shelter me? That, you, that you're, you're going to take care of me? That's not how this story goes. I take care of you. I shelter you in the shadow of my wings. If I wanted a house of worship, I would have already told you that. I need you to focus on being the kind of leader for my people I've asked you to be. I need you to live a life of, of wisdom and goodness and grace. And I'll let you know, if I... I want you to build me a place where my presence can be at home. Well, the next time the word of God speaks clearly, it's to David's son, it's to his heir, the next king of Israel, Solomon. And he asks Solomon a pretty amazing question. The word of God says, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And can you imagine hearing those words from heaven addressing you, ask me for whatever you want me to give you. And as wide open as that question sounds, as, as huge as that offer appears to be, it's also at some level a test. God is, is sifting through Solomon's heart. He wants to know what is, what is Solomon going to say when everything imaginable is laid at his feet and he can make the decision of what he's going to ask for? And Solomon is smart enough in that moment to ask not for fame, not for riches, not for power, not for glory. He's smart enough to ask for wisdom, for the wisdom to be a good leader to God's people. And God is so impressed with this response that that the word of God speaks into Solomon's life and heart, the reality that not only is he going to be blessed with wisdom to be a good leader, but he's going to be blessed with all those other things that everybody else chases after throughout their lives. God's going to graciously just give all those things to Solomon. And on top of all that, God finally makes the decision to choose someone to build that house of worship, to, to build that temple, that place where God's presence can be at home where, where people can gather together and experience that presence as a family of faith. And over the course of many, many years, the word of God keeps showing up. It comes to all of the prophets in one way or another. God's word faithfully tells the prophets what they need to say to leaders and the least of these alike. It's, it's God's word that comes to Isaiah and tells him to speak words of healing grace over a dying king, Hezekiah. It's, it's God's word that comes to the prophet Jeremiah, who's, who's racked with anxiety and fear about the future and feeling alone and abandoned. And God's word reminds Jeremiah that God has known him since not just the beginning, but before the beginning, before he was even in his mother's womb, God knew him. The word of God comes to Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. The word of God comes to, to Zephaniah and, and Haggai and Zechariah. And then finally, the word of God comes to a prophet, Micah. And, and he speaks through Micah to remind the people of, of how much they're supposed to to be caught up in God's love, not just for them, but for the whole world. And then you get to the very last, the very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and, and then there's this heartbreaking conversation that happens between God and his people. God's word through Malachi says, I have loved you. And 
God's people respond by saying, how have you loved us? Can you imagine that being your response to God speaking these words to you? I have loved you. How have you loved us? And it's on that disappointing conversation, that, that heartbreaking interaction, that God's word falls silent for generations until, until a young woman named Mary says yes and a man named Joseph agrees to adopt a son from heaven as his own child until the angels and the, the words of the prophets to the ages and, and the starry night and the, the stable and the manger and all of it come together to, to create this space where the word of God who spoke the world into existence has this, this amazing moment where the word of God cries out with a brand new voice. It's the voice of a, of a baby boy. And in that cry, a new kind of world is spoken into existence. A, a new day dawns. And, and it's this day where God decides to move right into the neighborhood. That's the phrase that John, in his gospel, chooses. Right? That, that, that the God that we have known from the beginning who's spoken to us in various ways and in various times and, and places, that, that same God, that God finds a way to dwell among us, to move into the neighborhood. And what does it mean for a part of God's heart, for, for God's word, for God's son to, to move into the neighborhood with us? Well, you, you know that moment when you, you walk into a dark room and you, you flick on the light switch and there's this immeasurable instant when the darkness is chased away as, as the light races to the four corners of the room. That's what it's like when the word of God finds a way to move into the neighborhood. It, it's like a, a single candle being lit in the middle of the night. And, and regardless of how deep and difficult and powerful the, the darkness seems to be around it, that candle, it, it burns brightly and it gives just enough light to help bring a sense of comfort and hope and peace. It's like if you're in your house and you suddenly lose electricity and, and you're, you're just trying to find your way to that flashlight that you know is, is in that one closet or it's, it's on your dresser and you get to it and you turn it on and suddenly you're able to see enough to find your way. It, it's like a, a tall lighthouse that's, that's on the edge of a cliff and a dangerous stretch of coast. And it helps people find a way to be safe in the dangerous waters below. What, what does it mean for, for a part of God's heart, for God's word, for God's son to, to move into the neighborhood with us? Well, it's, it's like the moment that you suddenly realize just how precious life really is. I think all of us have gone through experiences. Maybe it's, maybe it's like a car accident, right? We, we get through a car accident with just some scrapes and, and some bruises and, and maybe a sore neck and, and it was close. We know it was close. So, so we're okay, but we're, we're shaken up. You know, maybe, maybe you're by yourself when it happens and so you, you get through all the things you've got to do and there's a car accident and you finally, after getting through all of that, you get back home 
and you, you see your family and you just, you embrace them, you, you hold on to them and, and you breathe in that moment deeply because it's, it's after that kind of experience where there's this, there's this clarity of just how precious life is and how precious all the people in your life are, the people that you love as much as life itself. And you're just so thankful that you're, you're still here with them. And, and you don't ever want to get to that place again where you, you have forgotten how important they are to you, how, how wonderful they are to you. You know, the word of God stepping into our world, moving into our neighborhood, that's, that's the kind of clarity that it brings. Well, what's it like? It's... It's like that moment when, when parents who have raised a child into adulthood finally realize that they're going to have to let that child go, right? It's, it's the nervousness, the, the, the pretending to be okay, even though you're not really okay and trying to hold it together until you get to the car. So if you have to cry, nobody watches you cry. The hug that turns into two hugs and then three hugs and then four hugs all the, the memories that start to flood into your minds, the, all, all the firsts, right? The first birthday with the cake and the frosting everywhere, the first Christmas with the, the wrapping paper everywhere, the first day of kindergarten, the first camping trip, the first everything that somehow leads up to this point, this departure. Nothing gets you ready for that departure, and you realize in that moment that you can't actually protect your little boy anymore or, or you can't make sure that your little girl's heart doesn't get broken. And yet you reach this place where you know it's time. It's time. And so you have to love them in a way that also lets them go. And you know that experience that that parents and grandparents, anyone who raises a child, that experience that, that we encounter in our own lives, it's exactly the kind of, of experience that, that God the Father has to go through. When the Word of God, when, when the Son of God steps into our world and God has to, has to love Jesus in a way that lets Jesus go to come and be here with us, to show us true, abundant life, to show us the, the kind of life that, that we were created for, a life where we refuse to, to betray a single relationship. It's, it's not like it was safe for Jesus to come here. Quite the opposite. God knew the risks that were involved. God knew how undeniably dangerous it was. But, but God simply loves us too much to, to get in the way of Jesus joining us and in joining us to save us no matter the cost. The reality is, as we step into John's gospel story together throughout this, this study we're going to be involved in, it's obvious that John's trying to help us understand something that we can't ever fully understand. And yet that's not going to stop John from trying to tell us anyway. There's just too much at stake. It's, it's a story that, that begins before time begins. And it's a story that's still happening. It's still unfolding. It hasn't come to an end yet. It's a story so wide and long and high and deep that it, that it overwhelms us. But it's the story that John absolutely has to tell because because he's convinced that God wants every single person to hear it. And so throughout this study, we're, we're going to try our best to hear it. We're going to try our best to listen. 
And not just to listen with, with our ears, but, but to listen with our, our minds and our hearts as well, right? In other words, we're going to try to find a way, brothers and sisters, to listen to this story with all of who we are, to listen with our souls. And, and we're going to open our eyes to see the sometimes hard to see truth that we are living in a world where God lives right here with us. Because in every way that really matters, God has really never left the neighborhood. It's, it's going to be difficult at times to find the places, to, to find the traces where God is present. But we have to, we have to find a way to do that. And, and here's the, the trick in John's gospel that I think goes against our our own sense of how the world is supposed to work, right? A lot of times we feel like we're going to have to see in order to believe, but John would tell you, you've got to believe first, and then you'll see. Believe first that God really has moved into the neighborhood, has moved into our world, and has never left. And if you'll believe that, you'll start to see evidence everywhere you really look, everywhere you truly look. For the evidence, for the presence of God, you'll find it. You have to believe in order to see. And, and that's, that's a challenge. It is for me. It's, it's a difficult thing to have that kind of, of ability spiritually to pay close attention to where God is and, and what God's doing. There, there's times we take credit for the things God is responsible for. There's, there's times that we think we've got to figure it out all on our own when God's walking right beside us. There's times we think we've come up with a great idea on our own when it's the word of God that placed that idea in the quietness of our souls. We have to see the places that only faith can let us see the presence of God in. And sometimes the most difficult place for us to see it, to see the presence of God that changes everything is in ourselves. John wants us to know that, that he understands how challenging it is to see the world that way, but God, but God wants us to have this experience that we're being sent just like Jesus into the world. Not to condemn it, but to save it. And we don't ever do that on our own. We don't ever do that because we figure it out. We do it because we're partnering with the word of God, just like Moses. It's not that we have to, we have to know how we're going to talk before we get there. It's that, it's that the word of God is going to show up through us. So how does John start the story? His version of the gospel story? Well, it sounds an awful lot like Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of, of natural descent or of human decision or of a, a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now again, 
in John's original language that he writes this in, it's not, it's not nearly as formal as he made his dwelling among us. It's the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood with us. I know it's hard sometimes to see it. I know it's hard sometimes sometimes to, to experience it, but the reality is God is with us. God is for us. And the word of God is speaking to us this morning. And I don't know exactly what it is you need to hear in your heart, in your soul from the word of God. But the starting place is never a commandment as much as it's, it's a statement of fact. God is with us. God's with us. May we hold on to that truth until we're able to see it clearly. We're going to sing now together. And as we do, my hope for you this week is that you find a way to believe until you can see. Let's stand and sing together now.